2: That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at Mintmobile.com/slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new
0: customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at Mintmobile.com. In reality television, the people are represented by two separate but equally obsessed attorneys. This is their podcast.
1: I'm Sessie. And I'm Angela. And this is the Bravo Docket. Welcome back everyone to the Bravo Docket. Today we're going to be talking about Jen Shaw. She always gives us something to talk about. This time though, it's something big, really big. And we saw it coming. We warned everyone on our Instagram it was coming, but it's finally her defense counsel's pretrial motions, which to me is huge. What did you think?
0: I was super excited to read it and i really enjoyed seeing the criminal defense put up really a substantial fight and make some really compelling arguments and then i would how should i say it i think there's a couple innovative arguments in there
1: yeah yeah so for those who don't know this is kind of our first peek into what her defense counsel will be arguing to defend her it's it's a lot it's a huge motion it's over 50 pages they submitted like what like 12 exhibits a declaration from Jen Shaw, just a massive amount of material to get through. But we are here to walk you through every argument they made and explain it the best we can. So, oh, I guess we should start by giving a background of where we are in the case. There was a grand jury proceeding to start and an indictment was issued. So what's an indictment?
0: An indictment is, think of it like a list of the, the crimes that the government says that have been committed and that the grand jury found that there was evidence for. And I think we explained in our last Jin Shaw episode that the standard for a grand jury is really low. There's no defense attorney there during the proceedings. The proceedings are kept secret. And so the prosecution can just put up everything that they think is gonna support the charges that they're wanting to charge the defendant with. And there also isn't any, anyone to say, well, that's, that can't be admitted in court or that should be excluded. So it's a really easy burden for the government to meet to get a grand jury indictment.
1: So then the indictment is public. We can post it on our website if we haven't already, and you could read through it. But based on the indictment, they proceeded to arrest Jen Shaw, which we all, we all knew about. That was like a, it's a national holiday now. And then <laughs> <laughs> interrogated her they had an arraignment hearing, which everyone tried to call into. And at the arraignment hearing was when she heard the charges that she was facing. She was represented by counsel at the arraignment hearing, but then they started the discovery exchange process. And so the government provided Jen Shaw's defense counsel with all the discovery that they had collected against her throughout the course of the case. And we know from filings that it was a lot a lot of discovery the the alleged crimes have been going on since 2012 so it's not completely unreasonable to think there would be a lot of documents here like think every text message jen sent every email from 2012 to 2021 that's probably what they handed over to her defense counsel but her defense counsel didn't really have the much time to go through it so they pushed the deadline of this motion that we're talking about today twice and that deadline Ended up being June 14th, and they finally filed it. Thoughts or feelings? Well,
0: I was very excited to read it, and we got a lot of just fascinating insights into what some of the potential defenses might be, as well as Jen Shaw's own declaration of what happened during her, what she calls an interrogation, after she waived her Miranda rights. She even talks about the actual circumstances of her arrest while they were filming for the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City and we also find out a lot of other facts that we didn't necessarily know before like for example Jinshaw and Stu Chains were involved in companies that were investigated by the FTC previously and that Stu Chains was secretly recorded at one point there's a lot of, there's just a lot of stuff in there.
1: It's really a treasure trove of information so far. And it's just, it's like the first major filing that we've seen. And on top of that, the government gets to respond and that deadline's July 5th. So we'll get, we'll get their side of the argument soon. And that'll be fun to go through. Do you want to start with their first argument? What is going on here? What did they argue?
0: Her defense attorneys started out logically by talking about the indictment and saying that it's not sufficient under the federal rules of criminal procedure and the Fifth Amendment to the United States Constitution in that it doesn't specifically state the facts that support the crimes that are being alleged. So you have a right to know what you're being charged with And why? I I have to agree that the indictment is fairly vague. I think because the government had indicted so many other people in this similar alleged conspiracy that they maybe got a little complacent with the indictments. And I also think it's probably difficult because it it went on for so long and there's so many things they maybe didn't want to commit to just a couple facts. And so it's kind of like either we're going to put everything in there or leave it more vague. I mean, that kind of makes sense to me. I do agree with this argument that she or any person charged with the crime should have more information supporting the alleged elements of the crime in an indictment.
1: Yeah, so they say it's vague, it lacks details, there's nothing about her individual acts, and I think that's a big one. If you go and read through it, you don't really know what Jen Shaw was, how involved she was and that's very interesting to me that it wasn't included. They argued that the reason that they can't pin her to an action in the indictment is because she was removed from the representations made to the purchasers. So one of the, I guess, the charges she's being charged with is that it was conspiracy to commit wire fraud, and that requires some false misrepresentation made to potential customers or actual customers. I won't get into it, but they're saying that They don't even say that Jen Shaw herself made those statements to the customers, and they argue that she wasn't in that, I guess, customer-facing role. And that was interesting to me. What were your thoughts there?
0: I mean, conspiracy, she, she just has to be committing an overt act in furtherance of the conspiracy. It looked to me in this motion, like her defense attorneys were arguing that she had to know That the misrepresentations were false. But I think the government does have a decent argument here because it's conspiracy to commit wire fraud. So they should have, but I agree, they should have at least said in the indictment what the overt act was in furtherance of the conspiracy. Put that fact in there.
1: They also argue that to the extent that she made any promises, anything that she said was mere sales puffery. And it's not enough to be fraudulent. For example, there wasn't a promise of a specific return on investments, because if you remember some of the companies, like the fake companies that they were selling or quote unquote fake companies that they alleged to be selling were things to help the customers with their businesses. So they claim that anything Jen said, or I guess the companies were saying was just mere sales puffery. And you had a pretty good analogy there.
0: Oh, yeah. I was comparing this to an MLM scheme. So if you think of something like LuLaRoe, which is a well-known MLM, which now has a lawsuit against it, they try to tell you, oh, you buy all this stuff, you invest $5,000, you can make all this money, You can, it's going to be a great sales business for you. You're going to be a girl boss, whatever, but that's more puffery. Like they're not supposed to promise you that you will be a millionaire and be like in the top 10% of sales. They're just saying you could do that. And MLMs have a lot of shady practices that I don't particularly care for, and I think they probably, some of them should be illegal, but they aren't illegal. And so they're kind of saying that what Jen was doing was, okay, well, yeah, maybe it wasn't the best thing to do, but it wasn't technically illegal. She was just saying, you could do this, or the people working for her were saying, you could You could make money doing this. This could help your business, not that it specifically would.
1: Yeah, so MLM, that's a really good analogy. So I guess what they're arguing, though, is that because it was so vague that the charges against Jen should be dismissed, which would then end the case, right?
0: No. (laughs)
1: No. What would happen next?
0: So, what would happen next is they could, I guess, dismiss those charges, but they would just be refiled, or the court would state that there needs to be a bill of particulars, which is what that's the next thing they've asked for. Basically, saying if this isn't going to be dismissed on this basis, then we want a bill of particulars, which is. A more specific list from the government saying here's exactly what we're charging you with and here are specific facts that support those charges
1: and then interestingly enough they put what they want like exactly what like what more facts they want (laughs) i can't speak right now (laughs) we both worked all day other facts be patient with with more facts (laughs) listeners we, we worked all day (laughs) what other facts they are seeking. And it's things like, what sales floors were part of the fraud conspiracy? Which fulfillment companies was she using? What accounts they say that she was laundering money through? The exact time frame of key events. And they said that they tried to get this from the government without filing a motion. But when they did go to the government, for example, they asked, hey, what's the time frame of key events? The government responded, the time frame is 2012 to 2021. Like, great, that doesn't help us any more than what the indictment says. So that's why they ended up filing the motion seeking the bill of particulars. And then I had a question to you because I have never practiced in criminal court before. It's like, why is that not a standard thing that is given in every criminal case?
0: I mean, typically it's not that complicated. This type of case is I think maybe a bit rare due to its scope and the amount of alleged co-conspirators and the fact that there was a whole other case called the Ketabachi case that had a bunch of defendants in it that they even said I think at the arraignment you know your honor this is similar to the Ketabachi case there's similar uh, players and actors in this and they even kind of alluded that it was the same scheme and i also think it's kind of unusual to be have her be arrested so kind of late in the game so many people have already pled and i i do kind of think maybe they thought she was just going to fold and plea because there is so much that's gone on there's several co-conspirators that have already pled And then also, she, according to her attorneys, are the first ones to actually put up this much of a substantial defense and challenge the government's theories of the case.
1: And then, so she says that, or her her counsel, I say she because, like, it's her and her counsel, they argue that she's trying to protect herself from double jeopardy. That's why she wants the bill of particulars. That's why she wants more specificity. What is double jeopardy?
0: Well, that's a movie, I think, with Ashley Judd in it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know that either. So oh, explain okay. both please. Well, you, can, you can't be uh, can't be tried for the same
0: can be convicted of the same crime twice or tried for the same crime twice. And I think this is actually because of the scope of this and how long it's going on and the fact that a conspiracy is just overact and all of this stuff I think that that's actually a reasonable argument because if it is, if let's say for example, she just pled to this bill of particulars and then there were a couple facts alleged in there um, when she did her plea agreement and that then she would, that was read into the, the record. The go- they, they don't want the government to come back and say, okay, well, from 2009 to 2011, there was this different conspiracy that she was involved in and it had these facts and it, it really should have been in the same thing. So they want to know, okay, you've alleged this big long time frame. Tell us every single fact, every single conspiracy that you're alleging that she committed wire fraud, all of this stuff. That way she isn't at jeopardy for maybe agreeing to a plea deal, then having the government come back and be like, well, guess what? We're going to claim we did this too. It, I mean, does that make sense?
1: Yeah, that makes total sense. Like, yeah, I would want that. I'd want to know. Yeah. That makes sense. That's a that's a strong argument, in my opinion. Do you want to move on to the next thing that they argue? The next thing that her defense counsel puts in the
0: motion is the claim that the fruits of the search warrant should be suppressed because they were attained based on false or misleading statements. And in this instance, they went through the affidavits that some of the law enforcement officers that were working on the case executed in order to get search warrants and said that they, they found a couple of statements in there that were wrong or false. And they're, so they're basically saying that these statements in these warrants were false. Therefore, these warrants were based on false information. That's not correct. Therefore, anything that, that was obtained via these search warrants should be thrown out.
1: And then the search warrants were for one of her cell phones. Like one of the records, not one of her cell phones, one of the records tied to one of her phone numbers and then her email address, like or an email that they claim belongs to her. And they didn't actually find any files with the email address. (laughs) So really, this is just arguing on procedure. They're not suppressing any evidence because they didn't get any evidence. But it's still really interesting because they argue that one of the false statements made was that Jen Shaw... I think one of the statements that they made was that Jen Shaw was kind of at the top of one of the businesses at issue here. And I thought, too, that at her arraignment hearing, the government said that she was at the top of this scheme, and that's why they waited this long. But they point out her defense counsel in this motion in Exhibit 10. It's like a, an org chart of one of the companies at issue and it shows that jen shaw is actually the vp of business development so that she's not one of the three heads of this company she's a vice president which stew chains was also listed as a vice president but this is the org chart of one of the many 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 businesses that we think are involved here it's not just this one company but at least for this one company she ...is listed as the VP, her defense counsel is saying that the government misrepresented to the court when they tried to get the warrant that she was at the head. So that's just one of the examples that they give of a misstatement. What was the other misstatement that they said? Okay, yeah, so they said that she operated Thrive, and that's the one that I just mentioned, that they submitted an org chart to prove that she wasn't operating Thrive... And then they argued, or they claim that the officer made a misstatement that she operated Red Steel, which is another company. That was one where Stu was deposed by the FTC.
0: Well, they had both given depositions. Jen gave a deposition in Thrive, and then Stu Chains gave a deposition in a FTC case against Red Steel, where he was secretly recorded.
1: Right, and then that, I guess he said that, jen wasn't even involved in the company because there were only three employees and he like named the three employees and none were jen's name so based on that they're saying that the officer kind of lied or misstated the facts to get the search warrant what about this one though that the officer materially admitted that some victims made money what is that what's going on there
0: that's part of her defenses argument that if some of the people actually made money off of some of the products or services that they were selling then it can't be a, a material misrepresentation or fraud to have sold the products or services because some people could have made money so that it was possible to make money again this it, they're not this isn't an MLM this is not i'm just using that as an example because they're trying to make it kind of like in the same category as an MLM as far as ethics or legality. Basically saying, okay, well, yeah, it wasn't great, but look, some people made money, therefore it can't have been a material misrepresentation when they told people that they could make money because look, some people did. So it wasn't impossible.
1: Right. Chen Shah's defense counsel takes issue with the fact that the officer kind of didn't acknowledge that some people did make money and they kind of are arguing that the judge may have actually not issued the warrant had they known that some people made money. I, I don't know if that's true or not. It seems a little far-fetched to me. What do you think of that? I think
0: it's kind of unlikely, and I also don't know where they're basing their evidence on that some people did make money. I That may have just been statements that was in the discovery. I don't, you know, I don't, like, from look from the information that we have right now, the fact that the officer that was working on the case submitted an affidavit from his investigations, of the information that he learned, the fact that it didn't have information in there that, according to Jin Shaw's defense attorneys, means that some people made money. I don't, I don't, that's, I don't, I don't put a lot of stock in that argument.
1: Yeah, it feels a little weak to me. And I kind of want to know what's in those records and stuff. I mean, like I mentioned before, the emails had nothing. There were no emails. But what I what was what are in those the the phone number records? Like I I'm kind of curious to know. They don't say it. Well, that was just but. for her location,
0: right? It was the location pings from the cell phones. Oh,
1: you're right. It was for her location. Yeah. yeah. I guess when you got to argue, you got to argue everything. Yeah. So. I think they
0: did a good job of arguing everything.
1: The next thing that they tried to obtain or are trying to obtain in this motion are the minutes from the grand jury proceedings and Angela explained what the grand jury proceedings are. Were earlier. But why do you think they're trying to get the minutes?
0: So they want those so they can maybe prove that the grand jury indicted Jen Shaw based on information that wasn't accurate or based on misrepresentations from the government. That, so basically, so they could say, OK, well, this indictment should be thrown out because this wasn't real. And they're saying because there were some misrepresentations, according to Jin Shaw's defense attorneys, in the warrants, that that should mean that there's a strong possibility that the grand jury considered information that wasn't accurate and then based this indictment off of information that wasn't accurate. So they're trying to say, okay, look, we want these secret grand jury minutes and either the judge should review them in camera or they need to be given to us. I think it's unlikely that that's gonna happen
1: mm-hmm. yeah right and like in camera doesn't mean with a camera which is a common mistake it's- <laughs>
0: <laughs> no it's latin for in chambers so it's the image it, so if you think you know i think everybody colloquial under colloquially god i'm sounding like ramona singer so everyone understands that, you know, there's judges chambers, you see that in like law and order and stuff. And that's just the judge's office. And so that's the judge reviewing it out of the view of the public and the press.
1: Got it. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see if they order that. Next, the defense counsel is requesting the Brady and Giglio material, and I'm probably mis- mispronouncing the second case name there. But what is that about? I pronounced
0: it Gigolo. Isn't it? <laughs> gigolo? <laughs> I think Gigolo might be it's, spelled a little I'm differently. I'm dyslexic, so when I see G I G L I O, I I actually I see Giglio. I'm dyslexic. I'm super dyslexic.
1: <laughs> Giglio. Giglio. I think in... We could call I think it... I it it's Giglio. In, in Italian. Gilio, um, Nice. <laughs>
0: so this is... So Brady and Gilio material is... First, I'll start with Brady material. The government has to turn over all exculpatory evidence. And exculpatory evidence is evidence that makes it less likely that you've committed the crime that they're accusing you of. Like, it could be evidence that possibly somebody else committed the crime, all kinds of things. And then the Giglio material, I'm just going to keep pronouncing it like I'm Italian, <laughs> is, <laughs> just pretend I'm Droit, is material that it has to be produced if it would show that the there was any law enforcement misconduct. Okay, for Brady material, think about my cousin Vinny, where he, <laughs> Vinny learns that the Defense attorney has to turn over his whole file and he's all excited about it. And of course, the Marissa Tomei character is like, You dummy, he had to do that. (laughs) That's Brady material. The Giglio material is, if you think of O.J. Simpson in that case, that's like the stuff that would have to be turned over regarding police officer misconduct or potential officer misconduct or evidence of that that would show that perhaps the officers. Or the law enforcement, or the people investigating, for had misconduct or did things improperly. So th- they're just saying, okay, we want to, we want all of it. We don't think you've turned it over, turned over it all. We want it all. It needs to be turned over immediately.
1: And then I guess before 2020, it wasn't like an automatic handover. There was like a, a statute that was put into place, signed by Trump, and it's called the Due Process Protections Act. So it makes a judge essentially just issue the order straight away that these materials have to be provided over to the defense. Counsel, which I think is great. Yeah. It's a helpful law for due process reasons. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. Again, going back to my cousin Vinny, which is one of my favorite movies, and I think it's actually pretty accurate legally. (laughs) Um, (laughs) He didn't turn over, the prosecutor didn't turn over the material until Vinny asked for it. But as soon as he asked for it, he gave it all to him. This, in federal court, this federal law says, nope, you got to give it over whether it's asked for or not. The judge needs to make that order. And briefly, that law was enacted because there was a senator that was unfairly, they believe, prosecuted. And so it's, you know, the government, when it's one of
1: their own that gets in trouble, they're quick to to act. It wasn't altruistic.
0: (laughs) (laughs) They're like, oh, shit, this can happen to me. We better do something about it. And then
1: they act right away. But it's, it's a good thing for everyone. I guess it's a, a good act for everyone. Yes. And now we're at the last argument. This one was my favorite. I think this is the one that most people saw when they looked at the memes on Instagram (laughs) and such. So they are moving to suppress Jen's post-arrest statements that should have been suppressed because her waiver of rights was obtained through affirmative misrepresentations by the arresting officer. So everything that she said after she was arrested, they want kicked out. And this is where we get the really interesting explanation or description of how her arrest came to be. For those who don't want to read it, she says that she was on the way to filming Salt Lake City. She received a call that said she had to return home, and the call she said she received was from an anonymous number. She then immediately called her husband multiple times, and he didn't answer, so she got worried. She was like, where the heck is my husband? I got this weird call. Then she got a 917 call, or a call from a 917 number, and he said he was a detective. She thought it was weird because... She was in Salt Lake City. Like, why is this number from 917 calling me over? She then got pulled over. An officer pulled her over, placed her into handcuffs, stated she was under arrest, and that's in the motion. They say that told her she was under arrest. Oh, he said there's a warrant out for her arrest. That's what he said. And she was confused. She was like, am I going to jail? What's going on? And another reason she says she was really confused is because she had, I guess, a run-in or some... Do you want to talk about that, like... The thing with individual one,
0: yeah, because I think it's I think it's kind of an I think that's probably the strongest argument that her defense attorneys make on this point is trying to show her state of mind and the totality of the circumstances and saying, okay, when she was arrested, so here's what Jen is essentially saying, Jen saying. Okay, as I was filming for Salt Lake City, when I was arrested and they didn't tell me what I was arrested for, I was confused and I thought it might have something to do with this person that apparently beat her up in New York City and she got an order of protection against that person and she actually attached that to this, her attorneys did, showing that his name's blocked out. So she thought that it had something to do with that because that was a whole big deal and so maybe she thought that that person wrote a false complaint about her to be vindictive or made up false charges and that that's why she was being arrested. She also seems to imply in the motion that because the arresting officer said just stay calm we're just trying to keep you safe we need to put you in the back of the car to keep you safe and they were directing her to do things because ostensibly they were trying to keep her safe. She thought maybe that because they made those statements, that meant that it had something to do with this person that had beat her up, that she had a protection From abuse order from and who was apparently also involved in the scheme though, which complicates it a little bit more.
1: Right. And she said that like that person, individual one, was actually discussed during during her interrogation. So that like led to her confusion. But she also admits that she was handcuffed to a chair. She did say that they told her she there was a warrant, warrant out for her arrest and she was under arrest. But they also said, I just want to talk to you. I just want to ask you some questions. So I think I could see both sides here.
0: I, I mean, from watching Jen on the show, she is not somebody, at least from how she appears in the show, that has any sort of patience for... <laughs> <laughs> you could just end the sentence there. <laughs> <laughs> and I, just think about the Jen Shaw that we watched on the TV show wanting information and not getting it and being handcuffed to a chair... And the officer is saying, "Okay, well, we can't talk to you unless you agree to waive your veranda rights. You have to agree to waive these rights. Here's this piece of paper. We're going to read it to you. You need to initial it and check it off. And we cannot talk to you or give you any additional information unless these rights are waived. And then we can have a conversation with you and we can talk about it. And I can see her, just from her general demeanor that she displayed on the show, not having the patience to wait and say you know what I don't want to talk to you I want to talk to an attorney I'm not saying anything I want my attorney that seems to me probably to be the real reason why she waived those rights not because she was confused but because she
1: <laughs> just did not have the patience yeah. or the mental fortitude to wait I could see her being like all blown up and flustered yeah like what am I under arrest what yeah like oh where's Sue? like oh I'm being a ar- uh, why are you putting me on the chair? Oh. And then them being like, here are your Miranda rights. And her being like, oh, I don't care. I need, where's my contact lens solution? Like, whatever. And then they're like, well, ma'am, do you know about this company? And then she just like keeps talking. Yeah. Like, that's what I can picture happening. And so we didn't, we didn't mention the contact lens dry thing. So she says that before they, like, started talking to her, she admits that they read through her Miranda rights line by line, asked her if she understood it, and asked her to initial. But she says that... Her contact lenses were dry, so she couldn't read the paper that was in front of her, so much so that she even initialed the wrong line at one point. But she said that she understood her Miranda rights as they were being read out loud to her. This one, I'm, I'm not on Jen Shah's side on this one.
0: I admire what her attorneys are doing here because they're trying to fit all of the elements for the case law that demonstrate that she didn't have the ability to appropriately waive her rights with full knowledge and... In- that it was voluntary, but I did look up some of the case law on this, and the examples of other instances where the courts have found that a defendant did not waive their Miranda rights are, for example, the court found statements involuntary where the defendant was drugged and on the edge of consciousness and was interrogated by lying on his back in a hospital bed encumbered by tubes, needles, and a breathing apparatus. Like, what were the police (laughs) doing even trying to interrogate that person, first of all? like, Oh, I, I know. <laughs> and so the, the other examples the court have found where that type of waiver wasn't voluntary were, okay, you're almost in a point of a coma and the inability to think clearly was evident from incoherent and unresponsive answers. And then in one of the cases their defense attorneys actually cited in Jin's motion was that of a man who had recently suffered a gunshot wound. However, he had been recently cleared to leave the hospital and so was ostensibly in decent enough condition to leave the hospital. But he had just had a gunshot wound. So I don't think Jen's contact lens solution is <laughs> going <gonna laughs> to meet the burden that the court's going to want to see to show that her waiver was unknowing or involuntary.
1: Yeah, even being confused or being in a heightened emotional state, like, I can't see that being enough to say that she was confused about waiving her Miranda rights. Because don't you think nearly everyone is maybe a little bit confused when they're getting arrested and they, like, don't realize there's a warrant out? Oh, I, I feel there's like there's plenty of people that know exactly what they're getting arrested for. <laughs> I know, but I'm sure there are some people that don't and probably are confused and similarly have a heightened emotional state and maybe even dry contact lenses. So it just, to me, this feels like their weakest argument. I get what they're, they're trying. They're putting it in and they're trying. And I tip my hat off to them. But yeah, not my favorite one in the motion.
0: And again, this I thought this line from one of the cases that her defense attorney cited was, I think, illuminating to this point because the court said individuals who retain their faculties, even in the face of severe medical issues, retain the power to voluntarily waive their Miranda rights. And and there's more examples of where statements were voluntary. For example, where the defendant was interrogated at the hospital while being prepared for life-saving surgery, for a gunshot wound to his leg because he was alert, seemed to understand the agent's questions and gave responsive answers. Its statements were voluntary, but the defendant was interrogated at the intensive care unit with tubes running in and out of his body after suffering from a serious knife wound because he was alert and awake despite his pain, and thus not unduly susceptible to manipulation by his interrogators. I may not agree necessarily with those cases, but that is what the case law is. So yeah, contact lens solution is not going to cut it. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I mean, she also argues that like, she didn't know the charges against her at the time, but isn't it not uncommon to not know what you're being charged with when you're being interrogated? Yeah, they don't have to tell you that. It isn't until
0: you get your arraignment where they have, the government has to formally tell you what your charges are and lay those out for you, which is why you should always, always, always just sit quietly in jail and wait to speak to an attorney. Always. hmm but do not waive your white your right to remain silent. There's nothing you can say that's gonna help you. The police do not have to be honest with you at that point, and the police have a very different goal than you have. So it's not Yeah. And that's fine. They're supposed to have a different goal. The police are supposed to have a different right. goal.
1: They're interrogating you. Yeah. Like <laughs> I, I don't know. We did like receive questions about it and I think people were shocked to know that police can lie to you in the middle of an interrogation. They don't have to be straight up and your friends they're trying to get information from you so that's that's what it is somebody made a joke was she using kathy hilton's eardrops in her eyes (laughs) (laughs) yeah that was good that was funny (laughs) (laughs) probably she should add that but yeah i mean like this is one where i'm really excited to see what the government says in response. you know the the interrogation was videotaped they're gonna go back and like watch it and give a response. And that one's going to be really fun to read. And then I I guess what happens next? So yeah, the government will give a response.
0: My guess is that the request for the grand jury proceedings will be denied, but I think they a bill of particulars is entirely reasonable. And so I think the court might grant that motion. But a lot of it, I mean, we haven't seen what the government's going to say in response, and we really have very little information other than the pleading. So we we don't know at this point. The government maybe could come back with a really good reason for why it is more vague or why they don't need to have more information and why they don't have to give a bill of particulars. I would, I think it's also a good strategy on the defense's part to ask for that. makes the government do some of the work for them. Yeah. So right now, we're just going to have to wait until we get the response the day after the 4th of July.
1: And then, so they attached some exhibits, which I thought were really fun to go through. There was, like, a script, which was Exhibit 8 which to me looks like a script that I think the employees that were part of the companies were supposed to read to the potential customers. And we could read from some of that.
0: Oh, the coaching program compliance. Okay. So yeah, for example, in eight, it says, lastly, I need to ensure that there were no earnings claims made during your conversation with, and then it has closer names in parentheses. Did they make any promises or guarantees that you would make any amount of money in any amount of time with this education? And then it has in parentheses yes or no, and it says must say no to continue, and it's in bold, and there's an exclamation point. So basically, this is somebody that has is doing the closing of the sale, and so they have to interview whoever is purchasing, probably because <laughs> they got in trouble with the FTC multiple times, which is the Federal Trade Commission, and so oh, they're gonna like put this in their training to kind of it's like a
1: cover your ass move. Yeah, like skirt from making it Mm -hmm. blatantly illegal. I also think it's interesting that whatever the service is, it says it's a coaching program. It's $39.95 a month. God. That is a lot of money for something that may or may not have not even happened. Another thing that's interesting, and maybe they had additional agreements that we don't see here, but it doesn't say anything that they're allowing their information to be sold to other people. That was something that I would think would be in an agreement but again this isn't an agreement this is like a script because that is one of the allegations is that they were like reselling information without the purchaser's knowledge yeah this is terrible (laughs) oh there is an agreement sorry agreement is number nine that's where i read there isn't anything that says their information will be resold this is an e-learning enrollment agreement
0: like what do you what were they supposed to be getting for forty dollars a month it doesn't even say in here
1: it doesn't say in there it probably had it in one of the agreements that they sent over to the individual any communications that e-learning and its partners may monitor recorded that's if that was true I'm sure that's a lot of
0: Stuff that's in the discovery. Products purchased are educational in nature and this is not a specific business opportunity of any kind. That's what it says in this e learning enrollment agreement.
1: Right, so they're trying to like make sure they're not making any promises or it's like they're crossing their t's and dotting their i's mm-hmm. to avoid any criminal liability. Oh god, payment type, this payment's eight thousand dollars. Oh this one on nine
0: says products, your enrollment in this program includes the following items. One-on-one mentoring sessions, five weeks, my supplier fine, whatever the hell that is, gold website construction package, and then website promotion package, and then social media creation.
1: Oh uh, how much is our website? <laughs> yeah, we did our website ourselves and while I would say that I did
0: an excellent job and that my services you are did. incredibly valuable it wasn't that hard. I'm not going to say right. who the website hoster is because we're not doing any advertising yet. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I mean, that's it. One-on-one mentoring sessions, five weeks. I did. I do know that when we Googled some of these names when the list of businesses first came out, we saw consumer complaints that were made saying that they never got any coaching services, that they never answered the phone, they didn't respond. So I would be very excited to see or talk to somebody that actually did make money off of this program or that did feel like the coaching services were worth the $8,000 or whatever they spent. And if Mm -hmm. Jen can find one of those people to be a witness for her, that will be very interesting to listen to.
1: So interesting. I mean, she's, they brought it up in the motion multiple times that they want evidence and they should be referring to proof that people made money. Like show us who made money. Let's cross-examine them. I mean, not 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 you and I, but yeah. you know. <laughs> let's let's get them up there. <laughs>
0: yeah, her defense is saying Some people did get services that they requested, and some people did make money. And I'm wondering if that's like, I'm wondering if they start the business off like when they like it seems like they repeat these schemes in the different businesses. Like when there's too many consumer complaints, they close one and then they open it up and then open up a different one, and name it something else. It would be interesting to see if like maybe when they first start, like the first couple sales they make, they actually do send products or set up a website or follow through. But then after that, they don't do anything. I yeah. don't know. This is all speculation right. on my part. Oh, we should talk about the fact that, we, I think we mentioned it briefly, but the fact that Jen's Shaw and stew chain's by, the, and this is brought up in this defense motion, had been deposed by the Federal Trade Commission in cases involving some of these companies already. And at least in, I think, the two that were brought up, it was a civil case by the Federal Trade Commission, and the companies settled by paying out millions of dollars to pay back consumers, but they were there was no admission of liability. It kind of makes you wonder if if this, if this is the evidence that her defense attorney is using to put in this motion. <laughs> Don't you think it's kind of like, okay, you're arguing on one hand, she didn't know why she was arrested, but then in another part of your motion, you're putting in the fact that, okay, well, she's been deposed. Her and Sue Chang have been both deposed by the FTC for unfair trading practices.
1: Right. And it's also interesting because that deposition testimony was taken before Jen was on the show. Yeah. Before she was a Salt Lake City housewife.
0: Yeah. On our website from our previous... Jen Shaw episode, we put up the a link to the YouTube video that shows Jen Shaw describing her job and her business and what she did, and it will be interesting to go back and listen to that again after seeing some more detailed descriptions in criminal pleadings of what she did Mm -hmm.
1: so anything else i guess we didn't really touch on her declaration because it's pretty similar to what it was in the motion like detailing her arrest and such so I don't think we need to, like, rehash that. It's just kind of cool to see that she submitted something. The other exhibits are letters with the defense counsel, some back and forth. There are deposition transcript excerpts in there, but I don't think anything notable. Anything else that you want to note about this motion?
0: Nothing about this motion other than it's... I, I thought it was well done. I thought they used what they had well I think some of the arguments are stronger than others um and it'll be exciting to see what comes back next and that i really am withholding my judgment as to whether or not she is actually guilty of a crime until i see all of the evidence i can say i don't like some of the stuff i've seen but i i am gonna (laughs) try to maintain the innocent until proven guilty stance
1: yeah that's totally fair that is how our justice system operates all right, I don't have anything else to add. So maybe we end the episode out here. I guess our next episode will probably be a recap of Erica Girardi, Tom Girardi lawsuits, kind of adding a little bit more color.
0: Yeah, we're going to add more context. We're going to explain a little bit about how bankruptcy proceedings work, give more detail as to the type of information that Erica and Tom's firm and Tom or his... Guardian will have to provide in the bankruptcies, uh, explain how that just works generally, and then also talk about Erica filing for divorce, what that could possibly mean, whether or not maybe Erica would ever be able to testify based on the spousal privileges in California, and then also, I think, giving an overview of all of the cases that have been currently filed and maybe trying to figure out a bit more of a timeline for y'all, but we can tell you nothing is going to happen quick the bankruptcies are
1: going to take a long time (laughs) Yeah, and give our thoughts on the documentary, which was fun. Yeah. Yeah. I have a lot of, or not fun. I shouldn't use the word fun, but we have, yeah, we have thoughts. I have a lot of thoughts. I'm going to save them, but I have a lot. Yeah. So I guess we'll close with the episode. I want to, I do want to say like, thank you for the support. We've received a lot of listeners in the past week and just thank you. This is really fun for us. If you ever have questions, feel free to reach out to us or just do lawyers putting out a podcast and I think the reception we've received is shocking but also really appreciated so it's
0: really validating and we've said it before but I want to say it again y'all support and your good reviews means so much because we do put a lot of effort into this we record after work we record on the weekends we drink coffee and do whatever we need to do to keep our brains working <laughs> to do this in <laughs> addition to our legal jobs and then we've had people ask us if we are going to start a patreon or any type of thing like that and we want to keep providing this in this podcast to y'all just to you the best thing you can do right now to support us is share it with your friends and write good reviews we're just grateful so thank you
1: yeah talk soon all right <laughs> bye bye
2: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: The Bravo Docket is part of the ACAST Creator Network.